Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. So we're in a series called uh, Go Local, and our whole church is sort of rallying around this. We all got our minds, hearts, and thoughts around what it means to uh, take our faith uh, and Christ and bring and bring that to our everyday and ordinary relationships, uh, everyday interactions with people. How do we do that better? Now, one of the things that um, we've been looking at is Mark chapter four, and it's a text that helps sort of lay out. The process and has given us sort of a uh, just a, a helpful visual. Of course, when you're interacting with people, there's lots of things that can happen, and this is just sort of a helpful process that I think uh, has allowed us to kind of get a window into where we are with people and, and how to go to the next step with people because it's, it's sort of an illustration of farming. Let's look at the text um, Mark 4. Remember, the kingdom of God is like someone who spreads seed on the ground. Then he goes to sleep, and he gets up night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. There's a stalk, and then there's the head, and there's the grains. You see the growth of the seed. And then when the grain is ripe, he sends in the sickle because the harvest has come. Uh, So... This is how the kingdom of God works. And it's a great picture on a number of levels. We're focusing on the one uh, about bringing Christ to people. What does it look like? And it looks like farming. So uh, we are in the kingdom of God. We're like farmers who bring in a harvest. And so we said, well, if you're farming, what are the sort of the process of that? Well, you got to plow first. We began talking about how do you plow? What does that look like? That's, that's your everyday interactions with people. It's loving people, essentially, the ones that God has put in your life. And with them, you're earning trust because of the way you live and your character. And you're hopefully arousing curiosity about the way you live. So that's plowing. And then there's the planting of the seed, this point right here. You sow. This, we said last week, was pointing to Jesus. This is where you bring Christ up. And somehow you, you, you turn the conversation, you turn the dynamic of the relationship, somehow you, you get a person looking at Christ. That, there's lots of ways that can happen and issues that come up that allow you to do that. We talked about that, pointing to Jesus. And then there's this one. Today, it's the farmer sees the crop growing and realizes that it's ripe and it's time to send in the sickle. It's time to start swinging, bring the harvest home. So this third piece is about challenging people to surrender to Christ. Um, And with each of these steps, the intensity sort of increases. Last week, we talked about, you know, everybody can plow. Lots of people are plowing. Many of you are plowing. Many of you live your whole Christian life and never bring Jesus up. 
Last, night we, or last week we talked about bringing Jesus up, and many of you sort of broke out in a rash. Lots of ointment sold this past week. Uh, and then, now we move to this piece, which is, you know, one step further in the challenge. Actually inviting a person to cross the line. Uh, One of the, probably my favorite book that I read this summer on the topic was a book called I Once Was Lost and Everts and Shop. And they write this, this challenge is probably the most uncomfortable. Now we said at the series that this would be an uncomfortable series. But he says this, this phase is the most uncomfortable. But then he wrote this and it made me stop And this is what I want us to do. I want us to stop and think about this next line right here. He says, in general, we underestimate the importance of our role in speaking words of challenge to the people that we're interacting with. You might live the life. You might say a few sort of side comments. But you never get around to challenging a person. What are you going to do with Christ? Now, in this particular part of this, which is the last part, uh, let's go to verses 28 and 29. Let's just look at those by themselves, because this is this last piece. So, automatically, by itself, the soil produces a crop. So, you start to see this growth, and the seed that you planted, if you've worked with a person long enough, you start to see changes in the way they think in some of the conversation. Maybe they're asking questions that you weren't aware of, or that... You know, they hadn't asked before. But you start to see that whatever seed you planted starting to make a difference in their mind. Maybe it prompts a question. Maybe it brings up an issue. Who knows? It could be anything. But the seed is starting to find an environment where it can, be, where it can grow. And before this, the farmer is patient. He gets up, goes to bed. Uh, and he goes to bed. There's a lot of waiting. In the middle for a farmer, there's a lot of waiting. After you plow and spread the seed, you just wait. But not here. As this text progresses, as the farmer's crop progresses, this becomes the most intense time. This is where the farmer knows exactly what to do. So, uh, And you can start to see in a person's life some changes, some things happening. I, uh, I was, uh, I, so I had lunch with my buddy this week and a couple of buddies this week. But one of them I was talking to and I was sort of, dis- we were dis- dis- discuss- discussing where he's come and sort of the process. And, uh, and, he, and he said something that I thought was really amazing. He said, you know what? I, I get in my car and I drive here on Sunday mornings. And I don't even know why I'm coming. Uh, he said, I don't even know what I'm doing. I feel like I'm just sitting behind the wheel and something's happening and, and I'm just, and it's just bringing me here. And I'm not really sure what's going on. And so I was like, well, let's sing Jesus take the wheel and we'll, you know, go through the whole thing. And, and the beauty of that is he is beginning to sense things happening beyond him. 
And so, of course, there's questions and discussions and conversations that we can have now. But now listen, if you're, if you're talking to someone about Christ and you've plowed and then you, and then you talked about Jesus and you're paying attention to this like a farmer would, sure, he's patient, but he's watching. You pay attention, you know somebody's ready to be asked the next part of this. Hey, what are you going to do with Jesus? It's, it's time to go to the next level and, and challenge. And so in this section, you got the sickle swinging. you got to get the fruit. And I love verse 29, if you look at it, because it's temporal. There's a lot of, look at, when the grain is ripe, a time has come. In fact, it says it at the end. Harvest has come. Now it has arrived. The moment has arrived. What are you going to do? And though the farmer has been patient all this time, he knows how to reap. He knows what to do when he sees fruit appear. And so, um, when the critical moment arrives, he gets out there. Because you don't leave fruit hanging. You know the phrase, dying on the vine? You ever said it? This is, what, this is what it comes from. You leave fruit hanging there too long, it just your good fruit just spoils right there in front of your eyes. It, so a moment comes, and so you don't, you don't want it to spoil. So the, the slow, daily routine of the farmer speeds up, grabs the sickle, and starts swinging. One commentator said this. I loved it. He said, the grain is in, it's time to bake the cake. I was like, that is awesome. Bake the cake. Now, let me explain to you what's going on here in our, in our potentially in a person's life. Some people, if you have intentionally been working with them, plowing them, loving them, and talking with them about Christ, they're ready, but, but they don't know that they are. They're not sure what it looks like. To cross the line. And listen, there is a line to cross. And they might need a nudge. Encouragement. Because they might lack a little courage. They might lack a little understanding of what to do. It'd be like uh, driving on, on, on a frontage road forever. You look up on the highway, you see everybody going by, and you, you're passing all the on-ramps, but you never get on. And you know what happens if you're driving on the frontage road? You come to stops. Sometimes there's dead ends. There's lots of things going on on the side of the road, and so people get distracted. Uh, you know, you can just wander around. You can avoid the commitment of getting on the ramp and really going. And a lot of people spiritually do this, and, and a lot of times they deceive themselves thinking, you know, because when you're on the, when you're on the frontage road, it looks like you're making progress. You see the same signs that people on the highway see. But you're really, you're really not going anywhere. So there comes a time when you got to get on. And sometimes people need help with what that means. And so we have to be sensitive to that. So I want to talk a little bit about that by looking at a 
specific text. A text you're very familiar with, and there's always danger in that. Because you've probably heard it since you were a kid. But you want to look at it with fresh eyes. Which I tried to do this week, and it just came alive to me in, in a special way. And what it's going to do is it's going to do both things. It doesn't matter which side you're on. So maybe you're on the front of the road and you haven't gotten on the ramp. You're like, you're, you're looking at things, but you haven't really committed to Christ yet. You need to know what, is the, what does it look like to get on? What does it look like to commit? To be challenged. And then what does it look like if you're trying to help someone? Get on. Get in here. Get on the highway. Start following Christ. What does that look like? Well, I think we get both in this text in Luke 19. And it's another personal encounter with Christ that literally changes everything in a person's life. You bring all your issues, your questions, all of it, and you, can, and you meet him. And when you meet him, you know, it just all sort of comes together. And so when we look at Luke 19... First of all, I want you to look at the text as a whole. This is the entire paragraph. And I want you to notice in yellow, I have highlighted all the texts that tell you this is a seeker. This is a person. Uh, This is a person who's ripe. All these things are talking about seeking. So he wants to, Zacchaeus wants to look at Jesus, but he can't see him. Uh, So he climbs a tree to see him. And then Jesus sees him. Okay? And then the crowd sees this whole interaction. And then he tells the Lord to look. And then at the end, we see that the Son of Man's a seeker. So what you have here is the perfect situation. Someone's seeking and Christ is seeking. It's exactly the moment. And then you have something I noticed this time looking at the text that I had never noticed before. How fast everything is moving in the text. It's just a, it's, there's so much haste and speed uh, He entered Jericho and passed through it, all in five or six words. It's all the way through the city already. Jesus is moving quick. This guy's moving quick. He runs ahead, climbs a tree, because Jesus is going to pass that way, and it's going to be quick. If if verse 1 is right, the first verse is, he's passing through there quick. So, And then Jesus meets him. What does he say? Come down quickly. And then he came down quickly. I'm staying at your house. When? A couple of weeks. Today, fast. One minute he's in a tree, next minute he's in the house with Jesus. And then he says, now I'm going to give to the poor. When are you going to do it? A couple weeks, a couple months, a couple years? Right now. I'm paying back four times. Then you hear it again. Today salvation has come. You got two seekers seeking, but it's the moment of challenge and it's time to move quickly. Get out the sickle, farmer. You've been going to bed and waking up every night. Get out the sickle. So that's what happens in this text. Both of them happen. So now let's look at what happens. So Jesus enters Jericho, and he's passing through it. And then Zacchaeus was there, a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Chief tax collector. It's the only time this word's used in the New Testament. And it's unique because... Zacchaeus was unique. He wasn't the typical collaborator and extortionist, okay, with Rome. He was hated, but he was hated even more. It's almost as if this text is saying he had his own sort of uh, customs franchise in which he took advantage of his very own people. 
because he could charge extra for anything and tax it and get rich on everybody. He was making money hand over fist and he was hated by everyone. Sort of the equivalent of an informant or a traitor, how you would feel. Someone in your circle just betrays you at the deepest level and just selflessly or selfishly takes everything from you. That's him. That's who he is. Now, here's the thing about this fellow. We're going to see where the line is that you have to cross because he's going to go, on the one hand, I want you to notice, he's going to be in a tree. He's in a tree. And the tree represents seeking. He's curious. He's looking at Jesus. But you can't stay in the tree. At some point, you got to get out of the tree, and what do you got to do? You got to take Jesus home. You got to take him home. That's the challenge. That's get on the on ramp, get off the frontage road, take him home. And so we learn how do you help a guy? Do that. Jesus is going to show us. But at some point, there's a line to cross. And we're going to see it. In verses 1 and 2, you got Zacchaeus, and you just sort of get a window into who this character is. In verses 3 and 4, look what's happening. He was trying to get a look at Jesus, but he was short and couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him because Jesus was going to pass that way. A sycamore tree's got a short uh, trunk, and, and branches go out really far. It can get tall. The branch is off. It's easy to climb, even if you're short. But he's short, and so he's obviously got issues. And now this man is, and uh, not because he's short. <laughs> short people guy. Makes me want to sing it. Uh, nothing to do with uh, his stature, but it's interesting because in, in his eyes and in the sort of sight, he's a big deal. He's the chief guy. He's a big deal, but he's a little man. And this little man's trying to see Jesus. And he takes a number of risks that seekers have to take. And when a person gets to this point, they're taking the risks. You know, it's like the fellow driving to church. He didn't know why, but he's willing to go. He's taking the risk. They take risks. You know how risky it would be? You think Rome would have advised this man to run into a Jewish crowd we could get elbowed and stepped on. <laughs> we got him now. And stomp him in the ground like a cigarette. That's what would happen. Rome would have said, don't you dare go into that Jewish crowd. And not only does he do that, he climbs a tree, which is completely undignified. It's the kind of thing a kid would do, but in that traditional, formal culture, no man would be seen climbing a tree. It would look ridiculous as you can imagine. Silly. But here's the beautiful thing about a seeker. When they get to this place, they start, to, they start thinking about things, especially in our society today, would tell you you're kind of childish if you believe. You're kind of childish if you have faith. Like, did you, did you check your brains at the door? Seems like you got to be kind of small to even believe there's a God, supernatural, that the Bible's true. Now, these things, Jesus is very clear. In case you're one of these folks in the tree. Uh, Matthew 18, Jesus says, unless you humble yourself like a child, you'll never see or enter the kingdom of God. It takes humility. You've got to become like a child in some ways. 
And so it's risky. And now his problem is he's got to see over the crowd, and the crowd is just really interesting. Um, because usually if you're seeking, you'll, come, you'll, you'll probably come a, a up against something that you've got to see over. In other words, you need the right vantage point. Just because you have an issue and it makes it hard to see who Jesus is doesn't mean you can't get a different vantage point. Uh, it could be anything. Maybe you've got questions. Maybe you've got questions about whether uh, the Bible is true, who wrote it. Maybe you have those kinds of questions. Maybe they're theological. Maybe they're philosophical. But there's something that's blocking and you've got to get a vantage point where you can see Christ and deal with it. I had lunch with a fellow this week that... Uh, a different um, fellow. And I'm just, you know, I've plowed enough that I can have a conversation with him and we can sit down and I can, I can ask this question after I'm just getting to know him at a deeper level than a gym. After he shares with me a story and I ask 150 questions. I finally get to, so tell me about your spiritual upbringing. Did you have any? And that opened, can you imagine, it just opened up a world. And I just got my listening cap on. I just want to hear, take it in. I'm tracking with them. I'm making notes in my head, and I'm just listening and nodding. There's no judgment. There's nothing. I'm just listening. And he's at a different phase. But I'm just listening. And then I realized some of his obstacles, what he's going to have to see over and, and I took mental notes, and I invited him. I said, hey, listen, do you think we could go to lunch another time, and let me see if I can't, uh, so we can have a conversation about those things you brought up? He said, anytime you want to do that, Mike, we can do that. So that's on the horizon now. Hopefully we can get a vantage point of Jesus. Now, Zacchaeus has got to deal with a judgmental, moralistic crowd. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of people out there that you're going to be interacting with that look at Christians and go, they're just too judgmental, moralistic, and I don't want anything to do with them. They're just too self-righteous. And you're going to have to deal with that question. And one of the ways you deal with it, one of the ways you deal with it, is you say, hey, be careful about becoming self-righteous about the self-righteous. Because it sounds like you're a little inconsistent here. It's easy to become like that. You're doing it too. Don't let that keep you from seeing Jesus, because Nicodemus didn't. Because verse 7, they're gonna, they hound him. They know exactly who he is. And even with that judgmental eye that he's getting, he still climbs the tree to get a vantage point of Jesus, despite the fact that he's got an obstacle in his way. And then he runs in verse 4. You know, in verse 4, he ran. And now, that's... Again, undignified. Like in the prodigal son's father, when the father runs to the son, that's undignified. Men didn't do that. And so he has made himself completely vulnerable, which at some point a seeker has to do. And you've got to be paying attention for when that moment arises. That's the stalk and the head and the grain. There's that moment when they're humble and they're open. So, Here's what happens in this story, verse 5, and it just, man, it goes downhill from here. When he, come, when he came to the place, when Jesus comes to the place, he looks up and says to the man, he says to Zacchaeus. So you see, Jesus sees him, and it's almost as if Jesus sees him before he sees Jesus. 
which is interesting because Zacchaeus has this scheme, but Jesus is the one who fulfills the whole thing. Come down quickly, I must stay at your house. Listen, this is the language of salvation. That's Jesus' language of salvation. Wasn't the Romans road, wasn't the bridge. It was, I'm staying at your house. Here's what salvation looked like in Jesus' head to him. I'm coming into your home. If you're him, you're like, you're coming to my house. I just wanted to see. I didn't expect you to walk up to the tree. I wasn't looking for that. It's a great story in uh, Out of the Question and Into the Mystery by Leonard Sweet. And I love it. It's an ancient fable. And 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 it goes like this. So a hunter asks a woodcutter if he has seen any lion tracks in the area. As a matter of fact, says the woodcutter, I can lead you right to the lion himself. The hunter, surprised at the possibility, demurs a little bit. It's it's the tracks I'm looking for, he stammers, not the lion. (laughs) That may have been Zacchaeus. I just want to see him go by. I don't expect him to come to the tree and invite me into his home. Now listen, at some point, uh, people who are uh, trying to figure out who Jesus is, they got to deal with who he is. You got to look right at him in the face. It's one thing that big ideas and notions and sort of search and study, examine, it's one thing to look at him right in the face. And I'll just say this to you, curiosity In case you're in the tree and maybe been it forever, curiosity is not what makes you a Christian. You just hang out in that tree forever looking at Jesus. And I'll tell you, a great sycamore is the church. It's the perfect size tree to get in, climb up, listen, hear, see the same things everybody else is seeing, and never commit your life to Christ. Never have the personal encounter. Never have the moment where he invites you and invites himself into your home. Just immediately this sense of urgency. It's like Jesus saying, no, 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 no. Don't hang out there too long. Get out of that tree. You're ready for me to come home with you. And Jesus invites himself. And you see the urgency. Come down quickly. That's what he does. Come down quickly. Because this is the moment. And this is a self-invitation, another culturally inappropriate thing. Both of these guys are culturally inappropriate at the moment. Little man's doing a bunch of crazy stuff, and Jesus comes along and invites himself into your home. That's not something you did in that culture. You risked really being offensive. As hospitable as they were and as, as, as sort of common as it was to invite people into your home, you didn't invite yourself. So here's Jesus being a little pushy, a little bold. Hey, it's time to ask. I don't have time to wait. This is Jesus saying, I can't put this off to tomorrow, and neither can you. Don't wait another day. Because we've plowed and we've planted. I don't know who was in Zacchaeus' life told him Jesus was coming through town, who told him enough about Jesus to make him want to see him. I don't know who it was, but somebody planted that. And now Jesus is going to be crystal clear about what's going on. There's 
with my buddy this week who's sort of further along in the process. And, and just, it's just amazing what God is doing in his heart. And I am, a, I'm just the farmer watching God work, you know. And it's, it just brings me, it's just so much joy. So we were conversing today and, I, and, I, and that this past week and I said, I said to him, you know, I, I, I sort of brought him up to speed on what I've noticed where, I, where he's come. And then I said, so then I said, what's keeping you from surrendering your life to Christ? And he goes, you know, I haven't done that. Um, I'm not really sure. We, we talked about it. There's a few questions I have, he said. I got a few questions. I said, that's great. I said, what else? He said, well, I'm, I'm a little bit of a control freak. Control freaks have a hard time coming to Jesus. We all do. I was a little bit of a control freak. Oh, that's putting it too lightly. I was a big control freak. If you're a control freak, it's really hard. You're like, come down that tree. What are you going to do to me if I come down from that tree? I don't know what you're going to do down there. I like being up here in the tree, seeing stuff. Uh, Jesus is like, you need to get out of the tree and let me in your life. This is essentially what Jesus is saying. Zacchaeus is about to get far more than he bargained for. Anyway, so at the lunch, I just said, hey, listen, I'm going to be praying for you that God shows you exactly what it is that's keeping you from crossing the line because it could just be as simple as stubbornness. And so we just agreed to pray about it. But now Zacchaeus, he's hearing this invitation, and look what he does in verse 6. Powerful. So he came down quickly, and he welcomed Jesus joyfully. This is, and listen, in the original language, this is seven words, and four of them are verbs. Participle at the beginning of the sentence, participle at the end, and two verbs in the middle. And I want to show you what it actually looks, what it looks like when you're reading it like that. Uh, first of all, it says quickly. That's the first participle. Quickly. That's how the sentence begins. Quickly. And then at the end, joyfully. Two participles. How did he do this? Quickly. How did it end? Joyfully. On both ends. In the middle, two verbs. Something had to happen. What happened? He came down from the tree. That's the first verb. He came down from the tree. In the second verb, he welcomed Jesus in his home. That's the process right there. I went from the tree looking at things to inviting him into my, coming into my home. You take him home. That's what salvation is. You take Jesus home. Now, you're going to say, what does that mean and look like? Because it's about to happen to him. It's a beautiful picture. And all these words in verse 7, even when the crowd looks at him and goes, he's a guest in that home? All these terms, stay, guest, welcomed, are powerful terms that mean room and board. Jesus didn't stay just for dinner and take off. He stayed here a couple days. He lingered. And he got right into, listen, sitting at his dinner table. In that culture, you invited somebody into your house to sit down with you and eat. You invited them into the heart and into the center of your life. And to invite Jesus into there meant everything about my life is open to you. 
Look around my home. This is the center of reality right here. Then the crowd, this is so interesting. So here, this is happening. So now we've gone from the tree to in the house. How do you know you're in the house? Verse 7, when the crowd notices, because now the crowd is looking. Our pharisaical, moralist, religionists, they see it, and they're all complaining. That's all they can do ever. Just, they're just sin sniffers. They sniff out sin everywhere. You know? He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. <laughs> this guy's got problems. I mean, he was, he's a chief tax collector, he's rich, he's uh, short, and he's a sinner. This guy's got problems. I mean, he's got problems, and the crowd's letting you in on the serious one. Theologically helping us in the text understand what Jesus is trying to do. Yeah. Jesus knows he's a sinner. In fact, the whole text, the crowd knows he's a sinner. Zacchaeus knows he's a Zacchaeus knows he's a sinner. Jesus knows he's a sinner. And the reading of the text knows we're a sinner. But the crowd can't help but point it out. And in some sense, it's good that he does, that they do. Because here's the important piece here. What does it mean to take Jesus home? Here's the first thing. You don't have to run home and clean your house up first before you let him in. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Because some people have a hard time getting on the on-ramp because when they get up there, they're not sure if they can keep up with everybody else. How do I live like that? I don't know if I can live with it. What's it going to ask me to do? What's going to happen if I get up there? Here's the thing. Just let him in. He'll handle that part for you. You don't have to clean anything up for him. And you don't have to wonder what's going to happen after. He'll handle that. You'll see it comes together. It becomes obvious when you're in his presence. And that's, what, that's what's going on here. Just let him in. And this crowd is helping us see, feel something. The theological truth over the text is that Zacchaeus is a sinner. Thanks for the information. What's God going to do with that? What's Zacchaeus going to do about it? If, if they're seeing it from a distance, looking in the window of his house, sitting at the table, what do you think Zacchaeus is feeling? How would you be feeling if this man, this holy, righteous man, is sitting at your table and you know you're despicable? And the crowd is chanting it practically. Zacchaeus stopped. Now, this is a great word. It's my favorite. There's a couple of words that are, that really are competing for my favorite word in this text. But this is my favorite. He stopped. I don't know what he was doing. I wonder if they were having after dinner coffee or something and hanging out in the house. And Zacchaeus just calls a timeout. And in a text where everybody's moving fast and everything's happening quick, he just calls a big timeout right in the middle of it with Jesus sitting in his presence. And he says to the Lord, oh, I love this, look, Lord, as if he hasn't been looking. He's been looking. The whole text is going to tell us at the end he was seeking you. You only thought you were seeking him. He was seeking you. 
Look, Lord, don't even think he meant by that. You know, look around me, Lord. Look around my house. Do you see what the crowd sees? I've destroyed every social relationship I have. I've lived for money. My own family despises me. That's essentially what he's saying. And then he says, look, Lord. He's like, there's no way a man like you can sit at my dinner table, spend the night in my home, call me down from that tree, basically take the same kind of ridicule that I'm taking. Show me that kind of grace. And me imagine, me imagine that I could go on living my life the way I used to live it. There's just no way. It's impossible. With you here in my home right now, there's no way everything about my life isn't going to change. Right down to the money that I have been, that has been the chief idol in my life that has driven me literally into the ground. And I'm sick of what I see. I can't even handle myself anymore. I had a helping coaches outreach set up the person who's going to speak at their banquet in February. So I got the opportunity to talk to Bob Brunick this week. If you're a Cowboy fan, you know him. From 75 to 85, Hall of Fame linebacker. Played under Landry and with Stallback. And so I'm talking to him. I told him, man, I used to watch you. I was in high school watching you play, junior high and high school watching you play. And he says, yeah. I said, well, what's your story? He said, uh, man, I was an All-American linebacker at Arizona State. Had a couple of guys in my dorm, different people, knew Christ, tried to, and I fought it. I didn't want anything to do with it. I lived hard life as a college kid. I did what college kids do. But I, I just knew something was happening in my life. He said, I knew something was happening. He's kind of in that stage where the seed is growing, and he knows it. And he says, one day he was driving by Arizona State University. He's driving by the very stadium that he played in. And he said, something grabbed a hold of me, and all of a sudden it felt as if I, I said to myself, I think God's hunting me. And he said, in that moment, I can't explain it, but he said this, and I wrote this line down. He said, in that moment, I was fed up with Bob Brunick. I was fed up with Bob Brunick. Who I was, what I lived for, what I valued, it, was, it just became utterly empty to me in a moment. And I pulled over to the side of the road. And I actually asked the question out loud. He said, why am I running from you? Why am I running from you? He said, right there, he dropped his head and surrendered his life to Christ. He's 65 years old. He's rocking the world right now, helping people. He's an elder at a church and helping people come to Christ. It was a beautiful moment. I think Zacchaeus is having the same kind of moment right here. And he says, look, I, 
Not only, not only right now am I going to give to, but these are present tense verbs. They really are translated like future because I'm going to do this because he's not doing it at the moment. They're translated. But the point of it is, is right now in my life, this is so radically changed. It's as if it's already happened. That's how certain it is that I'm no longer going to have money like this. And he's going to go way past the law. You don't need the law. The relationship with Christ alone is enough to change him. I'm going to give what, I'm going to give half of my stuff to the poor. That's way past what the law said. And he's going to pay back four times, which is way past what the law says. He's shattered all those things because it doesn't matter anymore. His priorities and values and everything changes. When Christ comes into your life, that's what happens. You don't have to do it beforehand, but when he's in there, you can't help yourself but reprioritize and focus your life. I've told you many times when I came to Christ, that's the same thing that happened to me. I got up from my knees in a living room in ninth grade. And my world, within weeks, dropped a girlfriend, you know, uh, stayed with my dad, told my mom I'm not coming to live with her. Still to this day, hardest thing I've ever done. And, and just all kinds of things I was doing. Just started to fall off. It was no loss. It, was, it felt joyful. It was what's supposed to happen. I didn't know ahead of time how God was going to adjust my priorities. But that's what he does when he comes into your heart. And so I want to tell you that if you're helping a person come to Christ, don't be afraid. Don't be the guy that's just saying, hey, you know what you need to do? You admit you're a sinner, and then one of these days you'll die and you'll go to heaven. This guy, this is not about heaven. This is about Christ in my life. When Jesus says in the next verse, today, salvation has come. We ain't waiting till heaven. Don't sell them on heaven. Sell them on surrendering their life to Christ and finally finding a joy they've never had. That any priority they have put above God in their life was a waste of their time. Come down from the tree and take him home and let him in every room of your house. Living room, bedroom, kitchen, go through the cupboards, medicine cabinets, bedroom, go through all of it, Lord, it's yours. That's what you're inviting people into. And he becomes a son. And I love it because he goes from being a big deal to a little man, to a son and a child of God. Just totally, radically changed his life. You guys have probably heard the story of, of uh, Jackie Hill Perry. She was, uh, at 17, considered herself, announced herself to be gay and had girlfriends. And she said, I, I knew all my life that I'd never go to church because they would have nothing to do with me. Um, and when she tells the story, this is what she writes, literally, a gay girl who knew no better than to let, who knew better than to let her feet take her where she wasn't welcome, that was a church. And then this, she has this line here, which I loved, and it just felt like we were reading this story right here. She said, so God came to my house. And I love that line. She was just sleeping in bed one morning. 
woke up, I was just listening, and all of a sudden, this was a woman who was pretty defiant against religion. She had grown up in a black church and heard the mounts, she calls the Mount Sinai type fear and thunder sermons about her lesbianism. And she had heard it, and all from a distance, you know what, homosexuality and sin and all that other kind of stuff was sort of out there. She said she woke up that morning, and she said, uh, a conviction grabbed a hold of me where I wasn't looking at sin in general, out in culture. All of a sudden, it just hit me. And the conviction I experienced was not only unexpected, it was unwelcomed. I love her honesty right there. She's like, what is going on? All of a sudden, she said, my thoughts turned to my sin. And I was offended by the idea. I wasn't offended by the idea that my identity was all of a sudden a product of sin. That I wasn't some unique thing. And what offended me most was the idea that my sin was about to be the death of me. It was like she knew that sin was destroying her. And then she lays out the story of what it would be. And I want to read this portion to you. She said, I love my girlfriend too much not to be appalled at the prospect of laying aside not only the way I loved, but who I loved. To do what I assumed God would have me do meant leaving the woman whose voice, body, mind had been mine to hold and keep. To those who had heterosexual eyes, our love was a strange thing. To us, it was normal. Why would I do anything else? I loved her. She loved me. She writes, God loved me more. So much so that he wouldn't have me going about the rest of my life convinced that a creature's love was better than a king's. What I knew to be God calling me to himself sounded an awful lot for a moment like God calling me to be straight. Is that all you're after, God? As if his only intention was to transform me partially, but that was far from the truth. Though God was very concerned with how I lived out my sexuality, he was just as concerned with what I did with my hands. Were my fingerprints found on anything righteous? He was concerned with my mind and the hell that it was going through at times. He cared for how I used my mouth and what I was saying and that he was listening. She says, homosexuality might have been my loudest sin, but it was not my only sin. And God was not about to set me free from one and leave me enslaved to another. And by calling me to himself, he was after my whole heart. I sat up in bed and I invited him into my life and I wanted to know him. And I wanted to love him and I wanted to walk with him and be in relationship with him. And I knew it wasn't a matter of being straight. Or not going to hell. It was about God positioning himself before my eyes so that I could finally see that he was everything he said he was and worthy to be trusted. It's exactly what Zacchaeus is feeling here. It's the same thing. It's the same thing anyone who comes to Christ. And then she describes the phone call, the interaction with her lover, How heart-wrenching that was. 
That's what happens when a person comes in. Today, salvation has come to this house. That's it. That's how you know. You might be sitting up in a tree seeking. That's curiosity. You can seek a long time and almost convince yourself that, you're, that you've taken Jesus home, and you never have. And then you get this. You realize, in that moment, you realize it's Jesus doing the saving. It's Jesus doing the seeking. And that's what he came for. Came for the Zacchaeuses of the world. Came for each one of us. So, so this summer, I uh, close with this. When I was, this summer, I was uh, we we went to uh, Florida where we normally go. We were in Destin, and my son Eric sort of had this elaborate plan that he was going to. Um, uh, ask Mariah to marry him. And so we were thinking of ways this was going to happen on a beach because they happen on beach all the time and there's so many different ways to do it. And he didn't want to try to, you know, win the, you know, award on the one hand. And on the other hand, he was just trying to do something cool. And so uh, she didn't know her parents were coming. But on the night it was scheduled to happen, the, the four of us parents were standing on a bridge looking out over the thing. And he had dragged her to uh, some quiet empty spot on the beach that he could find and we were about 300 yards away we could hardly see them so we couldn't get video of it you know that was the hope and you know pictures so um so sort of frustrating but when it was over when, we, when it happened and we could just barely make it out we ran out to them and got to see them and then um uh, while we were standing there talking we could hear the heard some people applauding on the on the like three-story little houses that were there that, that lined the beach. It turns out they videoed the whole thing from there with commentary. <laughs> it was so fun. There's about six videos that are floating around of, of them saying, what are they doing dressed like that on the beach? Uh-oh, something's going to happen. And there's all these videos. And so I have one tiny little clip of, of this lady, and I want you to hear what she says here. Oh my gosh, why does he keep doing that? But you're not on the stage to get engaged yet, Leslie. So, there's more to it. What he's saying is, she's like, why does he keep doing that? Come on already. She kept saying that. It was like, because it looked like he was going to do it, but he didn't do it. So she's commenting on this. And then we have the video of when he actually does it. And I want you to hear her. Oh my gosh. 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 We were right. We were right. It's such an incredible keepsake. I mean, it's incredible. And so I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, on both sides, I wonder if God right now is looking at us as believers and saying, there's someone in your life right now you need to ask up on this highway and out of the front, out of the tree, and, in, and, and ask him. And God is up there going, come on already. Come on already. They're ready. Invite them. And then I wonder if you're here today. And you're in the tree. Like you're just looking. But maybe it's, it's time for you to take the challenge. 
to accept. Maybe you've searched, maybe you've looked way too long. And it's time for you to take Jesus home. Don't you bow your heads. Father, in this room across, there's so many different mindsets, experiences, hearts right now. You're just so good at knowing all of them. Where we all are, you knew exactly where Zacchaeus was. Knew what he was doing, what he was thinking. What would happen. And right now, you know the same thing about each of us. Father, some of us in here need to be challenged to invite people to surrender their lives to you. Help us take that challenge, Lord. And then if there's a person sitting here, even one person, Lord, saying, I have been looking too long. It's time for me to surrender my life and let God just have it and let him dictate what happens from here because I sense him hunting me and I'm tired of who I am and I'm ready to surrender my life to the creator and to the savior of this world. And if that's you this morning, that's all you have to do is say, Lord, I'll take you home. I'll take you home today. Thank you for showing me grace. Father, I pray someone in this room will pray that prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.